So we're going to continue our sermon sessions in the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 16, and the portion of Scripture we will endeavor is from verses 1 through 15, and taking hold of some very strong points in which we want to uh, proclaim and have ourselves uh, uh, understood with the text and how it applies in our lives. Verse 1, chapter 16, These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. The information that is being given to the apostles, and we must respect the context. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. This information, the instruction forward, is to his apostles. Now, just because it was spoken to his apostles does not mean that we have no practical application to our faith and lives this day. It certainly does give us insight to how we are to conduct ourselves and things that we are to practice in our growing faith. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Jesus is going to uh, give his life on the cross for the forgiveness of mankind so that sin can be removed. And it is a sacrifice in which is very... uh, uh, um, Oh, how should I say, will be very tragic, violent, right, Uh, shameful. It is something that was done to criminals, and Jesus is not a criminal. And also because, well, his friends, his apostles, are going to have to say goodbye to their master. Someone who has loved them, right? Someone who has instructed them, who has fed them, who has given them all spiritual blessings and forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, and to have them there uh, together with Jesus while he walked among us in physical, literal form, human, um, and to say, he's speaking to us now that he has to depart, well, that, that would give us concern, that would give us sorrow, that would give us uncertainty, well, what are we going to do? We're accustomed to following the master, and the master has to depart, what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? And of course, Jesus is speaking these things so that they don't stumble and lose their faith or withdraw themselves from the ministry that they will be given in office, but rather will have strength and will be governed. And of course, the text will move forward as it has been in these chapters designed to the apostles that they would be the recipients of the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit governing their minds miraculously, supernaturally, governed into all truth. This was specific for the apostles. And you and I today are certainly the beneficiaries because we get to open the book that was written by the Holy Spirit through the apostles' pen. And we can have this information and learn from this information. They will make you outcast. Verse 2, chapter 16. They will make you outcast from the synagogue But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you, murders you, to think that he is offering service to God. Man, that's a harsh reality to hear from the master, the teacher. And he had been telling them, the student is not above the teacher. What the teacher goes through, the student is going to have to go through. Speaking specifically to the apostles. You are going to be murdered. Not only are we going to lose our friend, 
our teacher, our master, the source of our eternal life, but now you're telling us we're going to be violently murdered? As you have been violently murdered? Well, how would we take that? That's very, very challenging. Yet the instruction is valid and comforting. It's to give them the strength necessary so that they would not stumble in the time in which is coming in their lives in the office of apostleship where they're going to be pushed out of the churches, the synagogues. They're going to be pushed out of the churches. They're not going to be received by the religious people of the day, just like Jesus, their master, had been rejected by the people, the culture, their own kind. And ultimately, the people who are going to push them out of the churches are going to murder them. And not only are they going to murder them, they're going to do it of good conscience. They're going to think that what they are doing is the right thing to do because God said so. And of course, if you read the recorded accounts of Paul the Apostle in the beginning of his work with the Pharisaical, he was of good conscience bringing Christians to their death. Was he not? He would enter houses, have soldiers put knives to the throats of the wives to have the husbands denounce Christianity. Paul the Apostle did that, and he did it with pride. Let's get rid of all these pesky Christians. Why? Because we're doing it for God. The Apostles were going to become martyrs. They were going to be murdered by people who were believers in God, thinking that what they were doing was for God. And I think if we think, and I think if we think, what am I saying? <laughs> I think if we look into our current culture, you'll see similar traits in a great many religious people who don't want to hear the truth of this book. They become hostile. They begin to persecute and slander and mock us. Why? Because the truth, the truth, These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Have you ever tried telling someone who claims to be a Christian, who claims to be a believer, who claims to have great faith in God and Jesus, that they have been mistaken, that they are misguided, that they are indeed not Christians yet, That the God in which they think they believe in is created in the image of men and not in the image of these pages? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to crucify you. They're going to hate you. How dare you say such things? You're insulting the ancestry. You're insulting their lineage, their traditions, their forefathers have given them this religion. Jesus came among the Jews in an age of Judaism telling them, you're wrong. <laughs> Who would he... Who does this man think he is telling us we're wrong? We're born of the covenant. We are the Jews. We have the law. It's the same today, my dear friends. It's the same today. We tell a great many people, religious people, that they're not right with God and that the God they were born and raised to believe in is the God of their forefathers, not the God of the Bible. 
These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. And we've seen Jesus in chapters prior engaging the challenges of the religious leaders of the day, telling them, you don't know God. Well, that's quite offending. That's very offensive to people who were firmly convinced in their conscience that they did belong to God and that they were working for God and they were going to do the same thing to the apostles. They were going to murder them thinking we're doing this for God. Many people do things religiously and are firmly convinced that what they are doing and believing is for God, but in reality... It is very far from God. How do we know the difference? The book. The Holy Spirit's pen here written. We're reading it. The words of the Christ. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things, verse 4, I have spoken to you. This is the apostles. This is Jesus saying to the apostles, I'm speaking to you so that when their hour comes, whose hour? Those who don't know the Father, those who don't know the Son, those who are going to murder you, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. My dear friends, if you go out here in this community and you speak the truth, you proclaim the truth with your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, acquaintances, if you do that, I assure you, you will be persecuted. It's an inevitable, objective, absolute reality of faith in Christ. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Christ is going to depart this earth. And the apostles were going to be given an office of ministry to speak the truth in which Christ had taught them in the age in which the church doors would be open and legal citizenry would be applicable. They were going to proclaim the truth of the Christ in the age of the kingdom's operation, active. And my dear friends, we have to count that cost as Christians, knowing that we too will become the recipients of persecution. But the Bible says when you are persecuted, rejoice. Find joy in that. Why? Because you're doing something right for God. Does that mean we have to go out there and be belligerent with individuals and rude and arrogant and heavy-handed and beat people up with this book? No. We don't remove anyone from their free will. Free will is a blessing we have to make decisions and independence. If someone does not want to read believe and obey the instructions of the Holy Spirit, then we love them, we pray for them, and we move on. But in immediate context to the apostles, their ministry was going to end in violence. Their ministry was going to end in murder. Now, that may not be the case for us, God may allow all of us to live a life of peace till the end, where together as a church we will hold each other's hand as we depart. 
Maybe that is God's will for our lives. But my dear friends, always be ready to understand that maybe, maybe our lives will be called. War can begin tomorrow. Do you know? I don't. I know he does. How strong is our faith? He's writing this information to his apostles so that they don't stumble, they don't fall away from the faith, and that they remember the words he spoke when they come face to face with this persecution. If we tap into this, not only will we grow in our faith, but we will grow strong and more united together. Soldiers learn to grow strong together at war. You grow a strong bond with soldiers whom you've been in the trenches with. Do we understand the language, the illustration I speak? Once you've been through sorrows and persecutions together as a family, your family grows stronger together, correct? Certainly. For if I am willing to lay down my life for you, and I would, and you for me, then we are strong together. Verse 5, But now I am going to Him who sent me. Well, who sent the Son? The Father. So the Son has to return to the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Of course, this is in the immediate context of description that he is explaining to them and is not in contradiction to what was said in prior verses where I believe it may have been Peter asking the similar question. There is no contradiction here. It is a matter of context. Verse 6, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Correct? Well, certainly. I love each and every one of you. I don't want any of you to tell me I have to leave. I will not be here anymore. That would break my heart. It would because we've grown throughout the many weeks and months together as friends, as brethren. So think of how deeper it must have been for the apostles who walked with Jesus having to hear this information. Not only losing their friend, but going to be murdered. <laughs> But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And also because, well, we tend to think more earthly than spiritually. Death is certainly sorrowful. And I pray that none of us have to say goodbye to each other. I pray each night, well, I try to each night, that all of us together will be together when the sky opens and the trumpet sounds and we will all, in the twinkling of an eye, as the Bible explains, will be found with the Master. So that way we don't have to say goodbye to each other. But let's be real. We may need to say goodbye to each other through death. And that is sorrowful. And that is painful. And we don't like to talk about that because it hurts us. Nonetheless, it's a reality of our existence in a fallen world. But what if we are capable of tapping into the perspective of eternal life? 
in the Lord's church, when a brother or sister departs in which we are holding their hands and waving them goodbye, it's a moment of sorrow, but it's a moment of joy. Why? Because it's not over for them. It's not over for us. We're going to see them again. Do you have faith to believe that? And perhaps those we love may not see these things at this time. If we continue to work at it, perhaps they will. And if we love and honor our loved ones past before us, would we not understand that they would want us to do what's right and to go to the right place? If we love and honor those who have passed before us, will we not hear them and go to this book? The apostles should have also thought about the positive side of what Christ was going to do which is fulfill the redemption for mankind. It would be sorrowful, it would be violent, it would be shameful, but they would. They would have the forgiveness of sins and have the message to proclaim to all. Sometimes we have to break the chain. Sometimes we have to break the chain. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. Is it not what we are reading, the truth? Does it not pierce our hearts? Does it not bring questions to our minds? I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. The idea, of course, is the Holy Spirit's necessity, office, and work to be confirmed and applicable once Jesus had accomplished his purpose. Death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. His fulfillment done. Now the Holy Spirit upon the apostles to proclaim with inspiration the message of the church, the uniqueness of the church, and how forgiveness of sins in Christ can be found. And he, in verse 8, when he comes, who? The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit would be given to the apostles miraculously governing their minds and they would be able with inspiration to proclaim and write information to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What is he saying? They, the apostles, were going to tell the world they are sinful. They are going to expose sin. And they are going to expose sin 
for the purpose of righteousness so that individuals could know how to repent and become Christians. And if they don't, they'd be judged eternally. And he explains this, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So why would the apostles be proclaiming to them, rebuking them, exposing sin to them for the purpose of repentance, so that they change away from sin? Away from sin. Why? Because they don't believe in Jesus, and they need to believe in Jesus. Verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Righteousness is the information of what is right that they need to obey so that they can be removed from sin and death. And also verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. What does that look like in practical application? You must repent from false religious views and traditions. If you do not repent and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to believe in Him, you will be eternally damned. Oh, that's harsh. Who wants to hear that? You know what's easier to do once you hear that? Say it's not true and persecute. If you are living in sin, if you are a thief, a liar, a gossip, a murderer, a fornicator, an adulterer, the message of the book, the truth of the Holy Spirit is there to pierce you and tell you, repent, obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, or be eternally lost. What the Bible calls love, the world out there calls hate. And this is what the apostles in the immediate context were going to speak. You do not need to die in sin. You need not die in false religious views and all sorts of immorality. You need not be a slave shackled to sin and lawlessness, iniquity. Obey the gospel. Believe in Christ. Or face consequence. And this is not foreign to our thoughts, brethren. This is not foreign to our thoughts. Look at the law. The law says if you murder, we'll catch you and we'll put you in jail. Don't be a murderer. Right? The law doesn't does the law says? Yeah, of course. So why is it so foreign to our thoughts to read this book and understand the spiritual sense and power of the Christ? I have many more things to say to you, verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. You see the love of Christ? He still has compassion. He still knows that they, this information is very difficult for them to receive. But when He, verse 13, the Spirit of truth, remember, all of this information is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. It was to be given specifically 
miraculously to the apostles. You and I today read this book, which is a product of the Holy Spirit. This is how you and I today receive the Spirit, by reading His Word. The words that the apostles wrote and spoke. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you. Must we not respect the grammar, the language? Of course. So who is the you? The apostles. Not you and I today, thousands of years later. It is the apostles in the first century. But how do you and I receive the benefit of it? By reading these words and believing these words, studying these words, doing what these words say. But for them, in the first century, the information continues, For He, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever the Holy Spirit hears, the Holy Spirit speaks. And the Holy Spirit will disclose to you, the apostles, what is to come. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, the Son, the Christ, for the Holy Spirit will take of mine, the Son, and will disclose it to you, my apostles. All things that the Father has are mine, the Son. Therefore I, the Son, said that He, the Holy Spirit, takes of mine, the Son, and will disclose it to you, the twelve apostles. Well, at this immediate context, the eleven apostles, since Judas had been withdrawn. In practical application, as we have been speaking throughout this message. We have this book. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. To most out there in the world, it's just a book written by old men with old ideas. And the world hates those ideas and they don't want those ideas around and they want to burn this book. But for you and I and all who seek the truth, which will unleak the un un unlock the mind. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. The apostles were going to be given the information necessary to proclaim the message of the Christ. And all of this, of course, is witnessed and recorded in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And as we make our way to the conclusion here, The information and uniqueness of the kingdom is so important for it is the kingdom of the Christ. And the information of the Holy Spirit reveals to us the necessity of the new birth. All who come to Christ and believe in Christ qualify to be saved by Christ. And though the world out there of religious views has all sorts of different answers for us, where should we go for the answer? But to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in this book says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water and the Spirit, he cannot, it'll never happen, be saved a legal citizen of the kingdom of Christ. This message 
the apostles proclaimed. And all who heard and received and believed, they gave their life to Christ in baptism. And God, not me, not you, God added them to his church. Do you have faith? Do we have faith to believe Jesus can save our souls? Yes, you must be born again. The information of the Holy Spirit is that of the truth, and it is indeed of love. And that concludes this portion of the chapter in this session. We do hope and pray all of us here have been challenged, but also edified, encouraged, and learn. And learn. All right, my friend, we can move forward with a song. <clears throat> 